today I'm going to be reading out of Psalm 139, and it can be found on page 618 of the Few Bibles. It's uh, titled, Search Me, O God, Know My Heart. O Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame is not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance in your book. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I could count them, they are more than the sand. I awake, and I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. I do not hate those who hate you, O Lord. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, my God. Know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there is any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you so much for your words of encouragement that uh, you know us that well. Father, I just pray that uh, the words that Aaron speaks would help us to just get to know ourselves further, get to know you further, and build us in that sanctification process that uh, we're all going through in day-by-day -day life. We just thank you for this day, Lord. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, Dave. Well, this morning we are going to be uh, spending time as we continue in the Gospel of John. We are in John chapter 9 this morning. If you want to turn there uh, in your Bibles, it's a long passage with much to glean from, so we'll jump right in. But before we do so, would you pray with me? Father, what we know not, teach us. What we have not, give us. 
What we are not, make us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so as we jump into the text this morning, it is probably going to be a little bit helpful to remind you where we've been so far in the Gospel of John. Thematically, this chapter in chapter 9, it connects to the Feast of Tabernacles that we have seen in John chapter 7 and John chapter 8. As you might recall, it finished with Jesus saying, I am the light of the world. In this chapter, it shows us what happens when the light shines. Some are made to see, while others who think they see are turned away. They are blinded by the light, by Jesus. So let's look at verse 1. As he, this is Jesus, passed by, he saw a man born, sorry, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva, and the, he anointed the man's eyes with mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. And so he went and washed and came back seeing. And so as we see first in our text that Jesus, he notices this man. Jesus sees people as people. In our suffering, in our hurts, in our pain, even in our sin, Jesus sees us. Jesus sees this man when this man cannot see Jesus for himself. This man is blind. And so Jesus, this, I'm sorry, John, he focuses the attention on Jesus, on the healer. And this chapter, friends, is about Jesus. There's significant symbolism in the, this chapter. The detail of Jesus seeing, in addition to this miracle, it reminds us that human beings, you and I, are spiritually blind from birth. And the disciples, they ask a question. You probably noticed that in verse 2. Why is this man blind? They're not asking about the parents providing bad genetics. They were judging. They were making judgments about this man. It's this whole section of John chapter 7 through 9 is continuing to play out these words that we saw in John 7 verse 24, where Jesus says, Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. And so questions have arisen over the last few weeks as we've been in these chapters. Can this be the Christ? Should we kill him? Should we arrest him? Should we divide over answers? Is he the devil? Are we free? The disciples don't really care about this man. They want to judge. At the end of our time, Jesus is going to remind us that he is the one who makes the judgment about all men and women. So hold that thought. So the reason why the Jews are, or the disciples are asking this question is that for first century Jews, it was thought that sin was primarily, if not exclusively, a cause for all suffering. 
They thought that he was blind because this man had sinned or somebody had sinned and he was suffering because of those sins. But he's blind as a result of the fall. And now death and suffering and sickness, it affects all of us. All men and women, we inherit sin from our forefather, Adam. Therefore, it's subsequent suffering, this blind man, any suffering that we face with, any weakness that we have is a result of the fall in our lives. And like Job, Jesus takes time to say that God's in control of this suffering, and he allows it. Why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? I have no idea, other than the fact that God is providentially in control. As Joseph said to his brothers, you might remember from our time last year, who tried to murder him, who sold him into slavery, he said to them, you meant this for evil, but God meant it for good. And verse 3 reminds us of God's greater purposes, even in suffering. And in verse 4, Jesus, he begins to teach the disciples. He, while he is on the earth, his light shines brightly. He even calls us to participate with him. He says, we must work the works. And he's speaking of the disciples, which we become part of as we believe as well. When he ascends to heaven, darkness will come. And Jesus, or John, he, therefore, he talks about how there's a difference between darkness and light. Where Jesus is the light of the world, that we get to bear witness of who Jesus is and what he has done. And we get to be light to the world around us as well. And then it gets a little bit weird. You might have been wondering. He spit on the ground and he put it on this man's eyes. He makes a paste. He anoints this man's eyes. This is no organic essential oil that's going to heal this man or make him feel better. What is happening? Imagine this man's thinking. He's like, he can't even see what's going on. And he gets this ointment on his eyes. Sometimes our dog will get into our room and he'll jump up on the bed and it's kind of startling when he does this 100 pound dog and you're sleeping, jumps in and starts to wake you up. If you're not expecting it, it is startling. Think about this man. He's now got muddy spit on his eyes. But whatever Jesus does with this mud or why he used the mud, it's a means to the end. Jesus sends the man to wash, and he comes back, and he sees. This man is healed. The man hasn't said a word yet. Have you noticed that? But Jesus has not just now seen the man. Jesus has now taken time to touch the man and to heal the man. Only thing that the man needed to do was to obey. Maybe of sickness, the doctors aren't sure how to fix it. Jesus, he sees that. Maybe you're struggling financially. You just can't make ends meet. Jesus sees that as well. Maybe you have a relational strife that you just can't stand this person or this person can't stand you. Well, Jesus, he sees that as well. And our challenges of this world, friends, Jesus sees. And Jesus can make them right. But remember, it's for God's greater purposes that God's glory might be displayed if he does answer or even if he doesn't. Sometimes like this man, 
We don't even need to go to God for the grace because God comes to us. Maybe Jesus comes to you in grace in your Bible reading where you're reminded of a text or you're reading a text and it encourages you for that day to get you through what you're going through and his sovereignty and his goodness. Maybe you're with a friend and they remind you of a truth of God's word or they remind you of circumstances in your life and they are God's grace to you, to help you, to encourage you, maybe to even just give you a hug. Maybe you're reminded of God's grace when you are actually healed from your suffering, when you don't know how you were healed or how this trouble that was afflicting you goes away. Maybe even it would happen in physical healing like this man. But the point is that Jesus sees us as people. And Jesus can respond to our significant needs, and oftentimes he does. And like the man, we just need to obey. The blind, they cannot see physical differences between light and darkness, so I've been told. Spiritually blind, though, they also cannot see either and our need for a Savior. And our greatest command, like Jesus told this man, go to this pool and wash, and he obeyed. Our greatest command is in Acts 17.30, where Paul says, the times of ignorance God has overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Where the fall, it affects us all. And our greatest suffering, friends, is our sin. The consequences of sin is death. And there's two options. Either we die or Jesus dies. Where God must punish sin, but he commands us to repent. He commands us to believe. And like the man who went to the pool, when we do, he heals our greatest sickness of sin from the inside out. And this man, he came back seeing, while those who have been blind for so long have continued to question. We've seen over the last few chapters. They clearly aren't seeing. And the first to the table is this man's neighbors. Look with me at verse 8. The neighbors and those who had seen him before he was a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he's like the man. Or he's like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to them, How then how were your eyes open? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. And so I went and washed and received my sight. And they said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. The neighbors, they know what this man looked like. Some say it's him, while others say, well, maybe it's somebody else. Maybe it's a lookalike. They had no eyes to see the man. Where nothing was really changed by his outward appearance because they were blind. They can't see because they are blind to not just their own sin, but to who this man even is. Some found it easier to just believe that this blind man had disappeared or he had gone a different way or maybe he was a twin brother or something, a lookalike to who he is. But the man says, it is me. It was Jesus in verse 10 who healed him. This formerly blind man, he starts to evangelize. He starts to share good news. Jesus did this in my life. The message is simple from this man. It was Jesus who did this for me. He's sharp, and he gives an honest answer. 
It's like Paul's words in Colossians 4. He says, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. This man didn't share the entire gospel, but he shared good news. He shared what God did in his life. With more interaction, more evangelism can happen, and it will happen in our text this morning. 1 Peter 3.15, In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense of anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do this with gentleness and respects. Sometimes people come to us why has your life changed so much? How will you answer? Maybe today is an encouragement for you. You can actually live differently than the blind world around us. Our role as gospel presenters, as evangelists, is to be ready, is to open our mouths, but also to trust God that he will bring the fruit. This man's life was changed. Our lives, as we believe in Jesus, are changed as well. As we die to sin, as we live to Christ, the neighbor discussion, it was superficial. So they go one step further. They bring in the experts, the specialists, the Pharisees. We see this in verse 13. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been born blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. And so the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees says, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was division among them. And so they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? And he said, he's a prophet. So the man was healed. The Pharisees, they love their false standards. The facts for these Pharisees, they're just a waste of time because they reject them, of course, and they're self-centered and their subjective standards are way too high. Their bar is way up here that nobody can ever attain. And we find out that it was the Sabbath in verse 14 and the the very strange music is supposed to come into the scene like dun, dun, dun. It's what the Pharisees want. How did he do this? When did he do this? He can't be holy if he does this on the Sabbath. Others say that he must be a sinner if he's to do such a thing like healing a blind man on a Sabbath. And the party of the Pharisees, they begin to divide. The first, they, the first group, they have a logical argument. If he broke the rules, he's a sinner. The other group, there's no logic. They are just crazy. But their interpretations both prove to be incorrect. He healed a man. That's the point. Sabbath or not, the man who used to be blind can now see. And blindness in the scriptures is oftentimes a metaphor for spiritual darkness. So who is the spiritually dead folks in our text this morning? The man's eyes are opened wider and wider, and he's the one who is questioned. And while the eyes of the judges are becoming more and more clouded with blinding theological mist, the evangelism for this man, he continues. The man himself is starting to understand more and more, and he continues to share what Jesus has done. He shares the truth. He says this man is a prophet. The man can't save the neighbors or the Pharisees, but he can share the truth. 
And like this man, you don't have to have all the answers and all the scriptures to share good news or the truth. You don't have to have a thorough knowledge of God's word, but what we do know, we can share. I was a sinner destined for hell and death. Now I'm not because Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Maybe the discussion goes further. Maybe you push for a discussion to happen at another occasion. Friends, we open our mouths like this man and we trust God with the fruit. We don't have to worry. Did I explain my theological term perfectly? Jesus healed my broken heart by the power of God. Over time, we grow in our understanding. We can add more facts. We can add more truth. We can add more understanding that we have to our discussion. We can seek to deepen our faith, to seek to grow in our knowledge of God and the Bible, and we can share with others all along the way. And we can supplement with further discussion with the same people over time. And it's simple. It's profound. And that's what God uses to save people from their sins like you and I. The world is filled with a lot of differing opinions. I probably don't need to tell you that. Our culture, it changed in 2020. If someone did something or said something that ran afoul of cultural preferences, they were canceled. And now it's time for cancel culture to come into our text as we see in the next section. And today's version of cancel culture is the 21st century version, Western version of this Eastern honor shame culture that we see in our scriptures. And let's see what it looks like 2,000 years ago in verse 18. It says, The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight. And they asked him, Is this your son, who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son, and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know. Nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. And therefore his parents said, He is of age. Ask him. So the neighbors, they didn't recognize the man, but if anyone could validate the truth of this man's history and origin, it was his parents. You moms in the room, you hear a child outside get hurt and they scream and all of you kind of turn your head and that one knows, that's my son, I'm going to run, I'm going to go see what goes on. Parents, they know their kids. The parents give a testimony of the truth in verse 20. This is our son. He was born blind. But they also say, let the boy speak for himself. He will tell you, as we see in verse 21. And we see why they don't speak up. They pass the buck because they are scared of being kicked out of their religious organization. It's like a cult. They fear cancel culture. They keep quiet. They fear the Jews. They fear the religious leaders. And they fear the ordinary people who follow these Pharisees as well. And so John's readers, us, today, are faced with a decision. Will we know the truth? The blind man can now see? Will we identify with the parents whose faith is not strong enough to act with courage? Or will we align with the healed man who continues to grow in confidence and boldness in his understanding and also in his proclamation of Jesus? Friends, believing in Jesus and following all that he says to do is hard. We have to give things up. We give up our sins. 
We give up our comforts. When I became a Christian my junior year of high school, it was hard. I had these friends that I had spent my entire life with, that we all grew up on the same street when, since we were five years old, and they were not Christians. I didn't want to be lonely, so I didn't want to cut them off completely. It was hard to say goodbye, to disassociate with them. I didn't cut them off. Sorry, did you say that again? No. <laughs> I didn't want to cut them off immediately, but over time, God graciously allowed me to connect with God's people, with his people in a church who would encourage me as opposed to lead me astray into sin. Friends who would be there for me as opposed to who would reject me for the truth that I believed in Jesus. Friends who would call me to be part of the church, the body of Christ, as opposed to shun me and kick me out of their friend circles and cancel culture is hard but it's not new it may be subtle and ignoring you it may be intense it may get more intense with persecution if we're told not to gather in Jesus's name would you still do it if we're told not to speak truth as revealed in scripture because it's hateful would you still do it if we're told that we may end up in jail if we maintain biblical fidelity and don't bow to the knee to culture would you still do it? I think we'd all say yes in this room. But right now, we don't have a gun to our head. We don't have the police at our door. I don't have friends or family rejecting me. We say yes today. But when those things come, we need each other. We're going to need to help each other. The boy's parents, who should have been the first people to be there, weren't there. In his greatest need, they failed him. So friends, as a church, let's not fail each other. The neighbors, they questioned. The Pharisees, they threatened. The parents, they shrunk back in fear. But the man, he continues to grow. We'll see what happens as we get to verse 24, as he gets more and more confident. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know this man is a sinner. He answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why did you, do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God listens, does not listen to sinners, but if anybody is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone has opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And they answered him, You were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast, cast him out. The Pharisees say, Give glory to God. It's a euphemism for follow us. Call Jesus a sinner because we know he's a sinner from the Pharisees' perspective. The Pharisees, they leave the, no, the man no option. They choose darkness. They choose lies. They want him to reject the light and they want him to reject truth. 
And the world does this today, right? We will cancel you unless you say that God is outdated and follow our new teaching. We'll cancel you if you say that Scripture is misogynistic and follow the current agenda. We'll cancel you if we say that Jesus is the only way to salvation because what the culture wants to say is we can save you. Control, control, control. But the truth, friends, will set us free as we can recall from last week. This was all a result of him being healed from his blindness. And this happens because our greatest enemy wants nothing more than less lives transformed by the gospel. And so church, follow the example of the blind man. Let them cancel us. We can only speak truth. In verse 25, the man doesn't know everything and it's reassuring. I don't know the answer to every question and neither do you. All this man knows is he was blind and now he sees. All this man knows is that he was one way and now he is another way. He doesn't have a robust theology of the person and work of Jesus, but he knows what Jesus has done for him. He opened my eyes. I love verse 28. Do you want to become his disciples as well? the evangelistic question, right? That's the question we all should be asking. We share good news, the good news that God saves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And we invite people in. We invite people to follow. And innocently, he asks if their desire is to hear the repetition of his testimony is bound up in maybe a secret desire that they have to become disciples of Jesus themselves. But it's what they need. They revile the man we see in verse 28. They verbally abuse him. The riot is starting. The cancel culture is getting worse. That The measures of hate are increasing. And they leverage their boy Moses in verse 29 because there's an irreconcilable difference between Moses and Jesus in their mind. And for these Pharisees, Moses will always win. The Pharisees, they try to avoid reviling God, which is why they have so many rules. But the irony is that they revile God by reviling this man, this man who was formerly born blind, of the love your neighbor as yourself. A little aside, watch CNN, watch Fox News, whichever one you want. They both cover the protests, I'll just let you know that. They both cover both sides. But friends, if you revile people made in God's image, it's sin. Christians should be the most gentle and gracious folks that walk this earth. If we hate in our heart, Jesus says that's the equivalent of murdering. Disagree with people all you want on secondary issues, but let's be loving in our engagement with the world and not revile the world. This man, he understands this and he starts to understand more and more. He's wiser than his enemies. He's more spiritual than his spiritual leaders. And his increasing boldness and wit, it stems from his most common gift, common sense. What is remarkable to this man is not his own belief in Jesus, but the unbelief of the blind religious leaders. The tables have turned. We saw last week, John 8, 31. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. The sin of the neighbors, the sin of the Jews, the sin of the Pharisees, they are all evident. They need a savior for their sin. 
but they're blind. The world around us is blind. Maybe you're blind. But friends, repent and believe the gospel. You are or you were dead in your sins. But through Jesus' substitutionary life and death and his subsequent resurrection from the dead, you can be forgiven of your sins as well. And like his parents feared, the Jews, the Pharisees, they cast him out of the synagogue, calling him a sinner. But the only sin that he has committed in this is the sin against the Pharisees' teaching, not the Bible. He's failed to bow the knee to the Pharisees, and so they throw him out, and it was not gentle. It's the same word that would be used in the Gospels of Jesus casting out a demon. It is literally throwing him out, like throwing a stone. This man is alone. His parents, the neighbors, the religious leaders, they've all abandoned or rejected him. But Jesus saw him in the beginning of our text, remember? And he healed him on the outside. And as we wrap up, Jesus hears of what happens to him and see what takes place to help him truly believe. Verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. And some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to them, Are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Jesus, he brought physical sight to this man who was born blind, and now he brings spiritual sight. The opposition and his excommunication, it testifies that everyone else is blind because of their darkness and falsehood. It was this man's mature faith that shows that who is in the light and who is living in the truth. And Christians, we face the same hostility in our world today. But we get, a res or, sorry, we get reassurance from Jesus like this man does in verse 37, where Jesus comes to this man. The I am shows up, we see in verse 38. And the man finally acknowledges Jesus. We see him in verse 36, first call him sir. But it's the same word that's used in verse 38, which your translations in English probably say, Lord. Why the difference? Well, the Greek word is the same. And what the difference is that now it has moved from just a term of respect and sir to a term of worship in actually saying God. It's the same word that the Greek translation of the Old Testament translates for Lord in, from the Old Testament as Yahweh. And he believes and he worships. The immediate response to believing in Jesus is that of worship. And verse 39 reminds us Jesus came into the world to judge. He judges with right judgment, remember? And has been, called, has been our guide over the last few weeks. It all started with the disciples asking the question, judging this man who was born blind, as you may recall. Everyone but this formerly blind man was blind spiritually. 
John 3 reminds us that the world is already condemned because those who don't believe the gospel, who believe in Jesus and his substitutionary death and subsequent resurrection from the dead, they continue on their path of sin and the subsequent judgment that comes from God. And so friends, don't be blind. Believe in Jesus and worship before it's too late. There are so many blind folks outside of this church that are part of the communities in which we live in, part of the businesses that you work in, part of the grocery stores that you shop in. And we get to share with them the grace and the mercy and the love and the saving touch of Jesus, who knows their need, who touches them, who heals their need, who hears of their oppression, who comforts them in their loneliness. And so we get to share the gospel with them. John Calvin says this, He who is armed with the power of God will not tremble at the noise raised by the world. And so friends, we need not fear, but we can open our mouths because that is the means by which God saves sinners of whom we used to be part of. And the Pharisees, they have to have the last word. They end with the question, are we the blind ones, they ask? You can ask yourself that question. If we're blind, we've been commanded to repent. Jesus did not come to, wor to a world of sinners aware of their need, eager to rid ourselves of our sin. But he saw us, and he came while we were still sinners, and he came while we still rejected him. If we remain blind like the Pharisees, guilt remains, and the consequences of sin is eternal punishment. But he gives sight to the blind. He heals the sick. He forgives sin. He comforts those who are lonely. I probably don't need to tell you this, but blind people don't normally see. If Jesus was not God, he could do nothing. If Jesus was not the Savior, he could not save. If he was not the Messiah, the Son of God, he couldn't pay the price for our sins. And so remember the disciples' question at the very beginning. Who sinned? The answer that we're supposed to see is everyone. All of us. We all have. And so friends, believe and worship Jesus. For those who believe, don't fear the world or cancel culture or false religious folks, trust Jesus. Next week, we'll see the more and more of the grace and mercy and love that Jesus has for us as his sheep as we hear about the Good Shepherd. And so let's close in prayer as we invite the music team to come back up and we worship our great God and loving Father. Father, thank you for your grace. For while we were enemies at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Father, when we wanted nothing of you, when we couldn't see you, we couldn't hear your voice, you still came to us. You touch us. You give us grace by your spirit to hear and see and a heart, most importantly, to respond to your gospel. And we acknowledge that this world in which we live in is hard at times, that we are rejected and despised. But your son says that if they reject him, why wouldn't they reject us as his, your disciples? And so, God, would you comfort us? Would you give us confidence to open our mouths as we declare the gospel of who you are and what you've done to the world around us, as we remind each other of the gospel when we are 
distraught and discouraged and need encouragement ourselves that we have each other as your people to come alongside and encourage and build one another up. And even as we sin, God, we are reminded of your grace today. Um, every one of us in this room has more than likely sinned today. And so we need a reminder of that grace as well. That we are secure in Christ. It is a work of God to save us from our sins. And so we want to worship you like this blind man did as we believe that you are the Lord of our lives, that you are the eternal God, the covenant keeper. And when you say you will save us from our sins, you do it. So we thank you and we praise you for all that you are and all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen.